Chapter Eight of Red Gauntlet by Sir Walter Scott. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Dion Gines, Salt Lake City, Utah. Chapter Eight, Latimer's Journal in Continuation. I spent more than an hour after returning to the apartment which I may call my prison in reducing to writing the singular circumstances which i had just witnessed methought i could now form some guess at the character of mr harry's upon whose name and situation the late scene had thrown considerable light one of those fanatical jacobites doubtless whose arms not twenty years since had shaken the british throne and some of whom though their party daily diminished in numbers energy and power retained still an inclination to renew the attempt they had found so desperate he was indeed perfectly different from the sort of zealous jacobites whom it had been my luck hitherto to meet with old ladies of family over their hyson and grey-haired lairds over their punch i had often heard utter a little harmless treason while the former remembered having led down a dance with the chevalier and the latter recounted the feats they had performed at preston clifton and falkirk the disaffection of such persons was too unimportant to excite the attention of government i had heard however that there still existed partisans of the stuart family of a more daring and dangerous description men who furnished with gold from rome moved secretly and in disguise through the various classes of society and endeavoured to keep alive the expiring zeal of their party i had no difficulty in assigning an important post among this class of persons whose agency and exertion are only doubted by those who look on the surface of things to this mr harry's whose mental energies as well as his personal strength and activity seemed to qualify him well to act so dangerous a part and i knew that all along the western border both in england and scotland there are so many non-jurors that such a person may reside there with absolute safety until it becomes in a very especial degree the object of the government to secure his person and which purpose even then might be disappointed by early intelligence or as in the case of mr foxley by the unwillingness of provincial magistrates to interfere in what is now considered an invidious pursuit of the unfortunate there have however been rumours lately as if the present state of the nation or at least of some discontented provinces agitated by a variety of causes but particularly by the unpopularity of the present administration may seem to this species of agitators a favourable period for recommencing their intrigues while on the other hand government may not 
at such a crisis be inclined to look upon them with the contempt which a few years ago would have been their most appropriate punishment that men should be found rash enough to throw away their services and lives in a desperate cause is nothing new in history which abounds with instances of similar devotion that mr harry's is such an enthusiast is no less evident but all this explains not his conduct towards me had he sought to make me a proselyte to his ruined cause violence and compulsion were arguments very unlikely to prevail with any generous spirit but even if such were his object of what use to him could be the acquisition of a single reluctant partisan who could bring only his own person to support any quarrel which he might adopt he had claimed over me the rights of a guardian he had more than hinted that i was in a state of mind which could not dispense with the authority of such a person was this man so sternly desperate in his purpose he who seemed willing to take on his own shoulders the entire support of a cause which had been ruinous to thousands was he the person that had the power of deciding on my fate was it from him those dangers flowed to secure me against which i had been educated under such circumstances of secrecy and precaution and if this was so of what nature was the claim which he asserted was it that of propinquity and did i share the blood perhaps the features of this singular being strange as it may seem a thrill of awe which shot across my mind at that instant was not unmingled with a wild and mysterious feeling of wonder almost amounting to pleasure i remembered the reflection of my own face in the mirror at one striking moment during the singular interview of the day and i hastened to the outward apartment to consult a glass which hung there whether it were possible for my countenance to be again contorted into the peculiar frown which so much resembled the terrific look of harry's but i folded my brows in vain into a thousand complicated wrinkles and i was obliged to conclude either that the supposed mark on my brow was altogether imaginary or that it could not be called forth by voluntary effort or in fine what seemed most likely was that it was such a resemblance as the imagination traces in the embers of a wood-fire or among the varied veins of marble distinct at one time and obscure or invisible at another according as the combination of lines strikes the eye or impresses the fancy while i was moulding my visage like a mad player the door suddenly opened and the girl of the house entered angry and ashamed at being detected at my singular occupation i turned round sharply and i suppose 
chance produced the change on my features which i had been in vain labouring to call forth the girl started back with her don't ye look so now don't ye for love's sake you be as like the old squire as but here i comes she said huddling away out of the room and if you want a third there is none but old harry as i know of that can match ye for a brant brew as the girl muttered this exclamation and hastened out of the room harry's entered he stopped on observing that i had looked again to the mirror anxious to trace the look by which the wench had undoubtedly been terrified he seemed to guess what was passing in my mind for as i turned towards him he observed doubt not that it is stamped on your forehead the fatal mark of our race though it is not now so apparent as it will become when age and sorrow and the traces of stormy passions and of bitter penitence shall have drawn their furrows on your brow mysterious man i replied i know not of what you speak your language is as dark as your purposes sit down then he said and listen thus far at least must the veil of which you complain be raised when withdrawn it will only display guilt and sorrow guilt followed by strange penalty and sorrow which providence has entailed upon the posterity of the mourners he paused a moment and commenced his narrative which he told with the air of one who remote as the events were which he recited took still the deepest interest in them the tone of his voice which i have already described as rich and powerful aided by its inflections the effects of his story which i will endeavour to write down as nearly as possible in the very words which he used it was not of late years that the english learned that their best chance of conquering their independent neighbours must be by introducing amongst them division and civil war you need not be reminded of the state of thraldom to which scotland was reduced by the unhappy wars betwixt the domestic factions of bruce and balliol nor how after scotland had been emancipated from a foreign yoke by the conduct and valour of the immortal bruce the whole fruits of the triumphs of bannockburn were lost in the dreadful defeats of dublin and halidon and edward balliol the minion and feudatory of his namesake of england seemed for a brief season in safe and uncontested possession of the throne so lately occupied by the greatest general and wisest prince in europe but the experience of bruce had not died with him there were many who shared his martial labours and all remembered the successful efforts by which under circumstances as disadvantageous as those of his son he had achieved the liberation of scotland the usurper edward balliol was feasting with a few of his favourite retainers in the castle of annan 
when he was suddenly surprised by a chosen band of insurgent patriots their chiefs were douglas randolph the young earl of moray and sir simon fraser and their success was so complete that balliol was obliged to fly for his life scarcely clothed and on a horse which there was no leisure to saddle it was of importance to seize his person if possible and his flight was closely pursued by a valiant knight of norman descent whose family had been long settled in the marshes of dumfrieshire their norman appellation was fitzalden but this knight from the great slaughter which he had made of the southron and the reluctance which he had shown to admit them to quarter during the former war of that bloody period had acquired the name of red gauntlet which he transmitted to his posterity red gauntlet i involuntarily repeated yes red gauntlet said my alleged guardian looking at me keenly does that name recall any associations to your mind no i replied except that i had lately heard it given to the hero of a supernatural legend there are many such current concerning the family he answered and then proceeded in his narrative alberic redgauntlet the first of his house so termed was as may be supposed from his name of a stern and implacable disposition which had been rendered more so by family discord an only son now a youth of eighteen shared so much the haughty spirit of his father that he became impatient of domestic control resisted paternal authority and finally fled from his father's house renounced his political opinions and awakened his mortal displeasure by joining the adherents of balliol it was said that his father cursed in his wrath his degenerate offspring and swore that if they met he should perish by his hand meantime circumstances seemed to promise atonement for this great deprivation the lady of alberic redgauntlet was again after many years in a situation which afforded her husband the hope of a more dutiful heir but the delicacy and deep interest of his wife's condition did not prevent alberic from engaging in the undertaking of douglas and moray he had been the most forward in the attack of the castle and was now foremost in the pursuit of balliol eagerly engaged in the dispersing or cutting down the few daring followers who endeavoured to protect the usurper in his flight as these were successively routed or slain the formidable red gauntlet the mortal enemy of the house of balliol was within two lances length of the fugitive edward balliol in a narrow pass when a youth one of the last who attended the usurper in his flight threw himself between them received the shock of the pursuer and was unhorsed and overthrown the helmet rolled from his head and the beams of the sun then rising over the solway showed redgauntlet 
the features of his disobedient son in the livery and wearing the cognizance of the usurper red gauntlet beheld his son lying before his horse's feet but he also saw balliol the usurper of the scottish crown still as it seemed within his grasp and separated from him only by the prostrate body of his overthrown adherent without pausing to inquire whether young edward was wounded he dashed his spurs into his horse meaning to leap over him but was unhappily frustrated in his purpose the steed made indeed a bound forward but was unable to clear the body of the youth and with its hind foot struck him in the forehead as he was in the act of rising the blow was mortal it is needless to add that the pursuit was checked and balliol escaped red gauntlet ferocious as he is described was yet overwhelmed with the thoughts of the crime he had committed when he returned to his castle it was to encounter new domestic sorrows his wife had been prematurely seized with the pangs of labour upon hearing the dreadful catastrophe which had taken place the birth of an infant boy cost her her life red gauntlet sat by her corpse for more than twenty-four hours without changing either feature or posture so far as his terrified domestics could observe the abbot of dundrennan preached consolation to him in vain douglas who came to visit in his affliction a patriot of such distinguished zeal was more successful in rousing his attention he caused the trumpets to sound an english point of war in the courtyard and red gauntlet at once sprang to his arms and seemed restored to the recollection which had been lost in the extent of his misery from that moment whatever he might feel inwardly he gave way to no outward emotion douglas caused his infant to be brought but even the iron-hearted soldiers were struck with horror to observe that by the mysterious law of nature the cause of his mother's death and the evidence of his father's guilt was stamped on the innocent face of the babe whose brow was distinctly marked by the miniature resemblance of a horseshoe red gauntlet himself pointed it out to douglas saying with a ghastly smile it should have been bloody moved as he was to compassion for his brother-in-arms and steeled against all softer feelings by the habits of civil war douglas shuddered at this sight and displayed a desire to leave the house which was doomed to be the scene of such horrors as his parting advice he exhorted alberic redgauntlet to make a pilgrimage to st ninians of whitehern then esteemed a shrine of great sanctity and departed with a precipitation which might have aggravated had that been possible the forlorn state of his unhappy friend but that seems to have been incapable of admitting any addition sir alberic caused the bodies of his slaughtered son and the mother to be laid side by side 
in the ancient chapel of his house after he had used the skill of a celebrated surgeon of that time to embalm them and it was said that for many weeks he spent some hours nightly in the vault where they reposed at length he undertook the proposed pilgrimage to whitehern where he confessed himself for the first time since his misfortune and was shrived by an ancient monk who afterwards died in the odour of sanctity it is said that it was then foretold to the red gauntlet that on account of his unshaken patriotism his family should continue to be powerful amid the changes of future times but that in detestation of his unrelenting cruelty to his own issue heaven had decreed that the valour of his race should always be fruitless and that the cause which they espoused should never prosper submitting to such penance as was there imposed sir alberic went it is thought on a pilgrimage either to rome or to the holy sepulchre itself he was universally considered as dead and it was not till thirteen years afterwards that in the great battle of durham fought between david bruce and queen philippa of england a knight bearing a horseshoe for his crest appeared in the van of the scottish army distinguishing himself by his reckless and desperate valour who being at length overpowered and slain was finally discovered to be the brave and unhappy sir alberic redgauntlet and has the fatal sign said i when harry's had ended his narrative descended on all the posterity of this unhappy house it has been so handed down from antiquity and is still believed said harry's but perhaps there is in the popular evidence something of that fancy which creates what it sees certainly as other families have peculiarities by which they are distinguished this of redgauntlet is marked in most individuals by a singular indenture of the forehead supposed to be derived from the son of alberic their ancestor and brother to the unfortunate edward who had perished in so piteous a manner it is certain there seems to have been a fate upon the house of redgauntlet which has been on the losing side in almost all the civil broils which have divided the kingdom of scotland from david bruce's days till the late valiant and unsuccessful attempt of the chevalier charles edward he concluded with a deep sigh as one whom the subject had involved in a train of painful reflections and am i then i exclaimed descended from this unhappy race do you belong to it and if so why do i sustain restraint and hard usage at the hands of a relation inquire no further for the present he said the line of conduct which i am pursuing towards you is dictated not by choice 
but by necessity you were withdrawn from the bosom of your family and the care of your legal guardian by the timidity and ignorance of a doting mother who was incapable of estimating the arguments or feelings of those who prefer honour and principle to fortune and even to life the young hawk accustomed only to fostering care of its dam must be tamed by darkness and sleeplessness ere it is trusted on the wing for the purposes of the falconer i was appalled at this declaration which seemed to threaten a long continuance and a dangerous termination of my captivity i deemed it best however to show some spirit and at the same time to mingle a tone of conciliation mr harry's i said if i call you rightly by that name let us speak upon this matter without the tone of mystery and fear in which you seem inclined to envelop it i have been long alas deprived of the care of that affectionate mother to whom you allude long under the charge of strangers and compelled to form my own resolutions upon the reasoning of my own mind misfortune early deprivation has given me the privilege of acting for myself and constraint shall not deprive me of an englishman's best privilege the true cant of the day said harry's in a tone of scorn the privilege of free action belongs to no mortal we are tied down by the fetters of duty our mortal path is limited by the regulations of honour our most indifferent actions are but meshes of the web of destiny by which we are all surrounded he paced the room rapidly and proceeded in a tone of enthusiasm which enjoined to some other parts of his conduct seems to intimate an over-excited imagination were it not contradicted by the general tenor of his speech and conduct nothing he said in an earnest yet melancholy voice nothing is the work of chance nothing is the consequence of free will the liberty of which the englishman boasts gives as little real freedom to its owner as the despotism of an eastern sultan permits to his slave the usurper william of nassau went forth to hunt and thought doubtless that it was by an act of his own royal pleasure that the horse of his murdered victim was prepared for his kingly sport but heaven had other views and before the sun was high a stumble of that very animal over an obstacle so inconsiderable as a mole hillock cost the haughty rider his life and his usurped crown do you think an inclination of the rein could have avoided that trifling impediment i tell you it crossed his way as inevitably as all the long chain of caucasus could have done yes young man in doing and suffering we play but the part allotted by destiny the manager of this strong drama stand bound to act no more than is prescribed to say no more 
than is set down for us and yet we mouth about free will and freedom of thought and action as if richard must not die or richmond conquer exactly where the author has decreed it shall be so he continued to pace the room after this speech with folded arms and downcast looks and the sound of his steps and tone of his voice brought to my remembrance that i had heard this singular person when i met him on a former occasion uttering such soliloquies in his solitary chamber i observed that like other jacobites in his inveteracy against the memory of king william he had adopted the party opinion that the monarch on the day he had his fatal accident rode upon a horse once the property of the unfortunate sir john friend executed for high treason in sixteen ninety eight it was not my business to aggravate but if possible rather to soothe him in whose power i was so singularly placed when i conceived that the keenness of his feelings had in some degree subsided i answered him as follows i will not indeed i feel myself incompetent to argue a question of such metaphysical subtlety as that which involves the limits betwixt free will and predestination let us hope we may live honestly and die hopefully without being obliged to form a decided opinion upon a point so far beyond our comprehension wisely resolved he interrupted with a sneer there came a note from some geneva sermon but i proceeded i call your attention to the fact that i as well as you am acted upon by impulses the result either of my own free will or the consequences of the part which is assigned to me by destiny these may be nay at present they are in direct contradiction to those by which you are actuated and how shall we decide which shall have precedence you perhaps feel yourself destined to act as my jailer i feel myself on the contrary destined to attempt and effect my escape one of us must be wrong but who can say which errs till the event has decided betwixt us i shall feel myself destined to have recourse to severe modes of restraint said he in the same tone of half jest half earnest which i had used in that case i answered it will be my destiny to attempt everything for my freedom and it may be mine young man he replied in a deep and stern tone to take care that you should rather die than attain your purpose this was speaking out indeed and i did not allow him to go unanswered you threaten me in vain said i the laws of my country will protect me or whom they cannot protect they will avenge i spoke this firmly and he seemed for a moment silenced and the scorn with which he at last answered me had something of a of affectation in it the laws he said 
and what stripling do you know of the laws of your country could you learn jurisprudence under a base-born blotter of parchment such as saunders fairford or from the empty pedantic coxcomb his son who now forsooth writer himself advocate when scotland was herself and had her own king and legislature such plebeian cubs instead of being called to the bar of her supreme courts would scarce have been admitted to the honour of bearing a sheepskin process bag allan i could not bear this but answered indignantly that he knew not the worth and honour from which he was detracting i know as much of these fairfords as i do of you he replied as much said i and as little for you can neither estimate their real worth nor mine i know you saw them when last in edinburgh ha he exclaimed and turned on me an inquisitive look it is true said i you cannot deny it and having thus shown you that i know something of your motions let me warn you i have modes of communication with which you are not acquainted oblige me not to use them to your prejudice prejudice me he replied young man i smile at and forgive your folly nay i will tell you that of which you are not aware namely that it was from letters received from these fairfords that i first suspected what the result of my visit to them confirmed that you were the person whom i had sought for years if you learned this said i from the papers which were about my person on the night when i was under the necessity of becoming your guest at brokenburn i do not envy your indifference to the means of acquiring information it was dishonourable to peace young man said harry's more calmly than i might have expected the word dishonour must not be mentioned as in conjunction with my name your pocket-book was in the pocket of your coat and did not escape the curiosity of another though it would have been sacred from mine my servant crystal nixon brought me the intelligence after you were gone i was displeased with the manner in which he had acquired his information but it was not the less my duty to ascertain its truth and for that purpose i went to edinburgh i was in hopes to persuade mr fairford to have entered into my views but i found him too much prejudiced to permit me to trust him he is a wretched yet a timid slave of the present government under which our unhappy country is dishonourably enthralled and it would have been altogether unfit and unsafe to have entrusted him with the secret either of the right which i possess to direct your actions or of the manner in which i propose to exercise it i was determined to take advantage of his communicative humour and obtain if possible more light upon his purpose he seemed most accessible to being piqued on the point of honour and i resolved to avail myself 
but with caution of his sensibility upon that topic you say i replied that you are not friendly to indirect practices and disapprove of the means by which your domestic obtained information of my name and quality is it honourable to avail yourself of that knowledge which is dishonourably obtained it is boldly asked he replied but within certain necessary limits i dislike not boldness of expostulation you have in this short conference displayed more character and energy than i was prepared to expect you will i trust resemble a forest plant which has indeed by some accident been brought up in the greenhouse and thus rendered delicate and effeminate but which regains its native firmness and tenacity when exposed for a season to the winter air i will answer your question plainly in business as in war spies and informers are necessary evils which all good men detest but which yet all prudent men must use unless they mean to fight and act blindfold but nothing can justify the use of falsehood and treachery in our own person you said to the elder mr fairford continued i with the same boldness which i began to find was my best game that i was the son of ralph latimer of langcote hall how do you reconcile this with your late assertion that my name is not latimer he coloured as he replied the doting old fool lied or perhaps mistook my meaning i said that gentleman might be your father to say truth i wished you to visit england your native country because when you might do so my rights over you would revive this speech fully led me to understand a caution which had been often impressed upon me that if i regarded my safety i should not cross the southern border and i cursed my own folly which kept me fluttering like a moth around the candle until i was betrayed into the calamity with which i had dallied what are those rights i said which you claim over me to what end do you propose to turn them to a weighty one you may be certain answered mr harry's but i do not at present mean to communicate to you either its nature or extent you may judge of its importance when in order entirely to possess myself of your person i condescended to mix myself with the fellows who destroyed the fishing-station of yon wretched quaker that i held him in contempt and was displeased at the greedy devices with which he ruined a manly sport is true enough but unless as it favoured my designs on you he might have for me maintained his stake-nets till solway should cease to ebb and flow alas i said it doubles my regret to have been the unwilling cause of misfortune to an honest and friendly man do not grieve for that said harry's 
honest joshua is one of those who by dint of long prayers can possess themselves of widows houses he will quickly repair his losses when he sustains any mishap he and the other counters set it down as a debt against heaven and by way of set-off practise rogueries without compunction till they make the balance even or incline it to the winning side enough of this for the present i must immediately shift my quarters for although i do not fear the over-zeal of mr justice foxley or his clerk will lead them to any extreme measure yet that mad scoundrel's unhappy recognition of me may make it more serious for them to connive at me and i must not put their patience to an over-severe trial you must prepare to attend me either as a captive or a companion if as the latter you must give your parole of honour to attempt no escape should you be so ill advised as to break your word once pledged be assured i will blow your brains out without a moment's scruple i am ignorant of your plans and purposes i replied and cannot but hold them dangerous i do not mean to aggravate my present situation by any unavailing resistance to the superior force which detains me but i will not renounce the right of asserting my natural freedom should a favourable opportunity occur i will therefore rather be your prisoner than your confederate that is spoken fairly he said and yet not without the canny caution of one brought up in the good town of edinburgh on my part i will impose no unnecessary hardship upon you but on the contrary your journey shall be made as easy as is consistent with your being kept safely do you feel strong enough to ride on horseback as yet or would you prefer a carriage the former mode of travelling is best adapted to the country through which we are to travel but you are at liberty to choose between them i said i felt my strength gradually returning and that i should much prefer travelling on horseback a carriage i added is so close and so easily guarded replied harry's with a look as if he would have penetrated my very thoughts that doubtless you think horseback better calculated for an escape my thoughts are my own i answered and though you keep my person prisoner these are beyond your control oh i can read the book he said without opening the leaves but i would recommend to you to make no rash attempt and it will be my care to see that you have no power to make any that is likely to be effectual linen and all other necessaries for one in your circumstances are amply provided crystal nixon will act as your valet and i should rather perhaps say your femme de chamber your travelling dress you may perhaps consider as singular but it is such as the circumstances require and if you object to use the articles prepared for your use your mode of journeying will be as personally unpleasant as that which conducted you hither 
adieu we now know each other better than we did it will not be my fault if the consequences of further intimacy be not a more favourable mutual opinion he then left me with a civil good-night to my own reflections and only turned back to say that we should proceed on our journey at daybreak next morning at furthest perhaps earlier he said but complimented me by supposing that as i was a sportsman i must always be ready for a sudden start we are then at issue this singular man and myself his personal views are to a certain point explained he has chosen an antiquated and desperate line of politics and he claims from some pretended tie of guardianship or relationship which he does not deign to explain but which he seems to have been able to pass current on a silly country justice and his knavish clerk a right to direct and to control my motions the danger which awaited me in england and which i might have escaped had i remained in scotland was doubtless occasioned by the authority of this man but what my poor mother might fear for me as a child what my english friend samuel griffiths endeavoured to guard against during my youth and nonage is now it seems come upon me and under a legal pretext i am detained in what must be a most illegal manner by a person foe whose own political immunities have been forfeited by his conduct it matters not my mind is made up neither persuasion nor threats shall force me into the desperate designs which this man meditates whether i am of the trifling consequence which my life hitherto seems to intimate or whether i have as would appear from my adversary's conduct such importance by birth or fortune as may make me a desirable acquisition to a political faction my resolution is taken in either case those who read this journal if it shall be perused by impartial eyes shall judge of me truly and if they consider me as a fool in encountering danger unnecessarily they shall have no reason to believe me a coward or a turncoat when i find myself engaged in it i have been bred in sentiments of attachments to the family on the throne and in these sentiments i will live and die i have indeed some idea that mr harry's has already discovered that i am made of different and more unmalleable metal than he had at first believed there are letters from my dear allan fairford giving a ludicrous account of my instability of temper in the same pocket-book which according to the admission of my pretended guardian fell under the investigation of his domestic during the night i passed at brokenburn where as i now recollect my wet clothes with the contents of my pockets were with the thoughtlessness of a young traveller committed too rashly to the care of a strange servant and my kind friend and hospitable landlord mr alexander fairford 
may also and with justice have spoken of my levities to this man but he shall find he has made a false estimate upon these plausible grounds since i must break off for the present End of chapter eight